Hey, I'm Dave, and thanks so much for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you are here, and we would love to get connected to you and your family. So one easy way to do that is that you can text the word River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give today to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website, click on the Give tab right at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Um, every year we go through our, what our vision is here at the River Church. And our, our vision is reach, gather, grow. That, that circle should be on the screen behind me here before too long. And it's all about why we do what we do. And this first Sunday, and I should say we do it every January and we do it every September. And we look at different books of the Bible and how the purpose of the church, specifically the River Church, is found in Scripture. And we talk about reach the lost gather the saints, and grow in Christ together. And so the menu you have on your chair is our REACH menu. Our vision dictates everything that we do. And everything that we do reverts, can be tied back to either REACH, reaching the lost, gathering the saints, or growing together in Christ. And every ministry we have that you can be involved in is also linked to one of those three things as part of our vision of the church. And so this menu you have in front of you is our reach menu. Everything that you see on this page, you can get involved in to reach others for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can go to our website and check all that out. Actually, if you actually scan this code at the very bottom, this QR code, it takes you directly to the website to be able to sign up for any of these things. To get more information, if you go to that QR code, you'll be able to... Fill out a form, and and then your information will be given to the ministry lead, and they will get in touch with you. Now, some of the events are like our enormous egg drop that happens at Easter. If you sign up and are interested in helping in that, we love that, but it's not like you're going to probably get contacted next week. You'll be put on a list and get contacted as we near enormous, all right, which is coming up in like 12 weeks. Easter's like 12 weeks away because it's March 31st this year. So on March 30th is the helicopter egg drop. We're already looking at, man, we had Christmas two weeks ago. We're already talking about Easter. But that's how it works this year. And so we have some great events that we, do, that we use to be able to reach out to people with the cause of Jesus Christ. And I want to make sure you're aware of them. And so this week you're going to have the reach menu. Next week, what menu do you think you're going to have? Gather. You're right. Good job. Next week's going to be gather. And then the next week is? Grow. Grow. Good stuff. All right. So some of you who have been, been at the river for a little while may be going, man, why are we talking about Reach, Gather, Grow? Again, you may have heard these series before. That's a good thing because vision leaks. It's easy to just start doing things that you do and just doing them because you do them rather than understanding the why behind what we do. And the why behind what we do is so absolutely important because if we don't know the why, we're not going to continue to do what we do. If anything, or if we do continue to do what we do, it's not going to have as much impact. It's not going to have as much power. And so for the next three weeks, like I said, we're going to be talking about our vision here at the church. Now, when it comes to reach, it really is all about keeping the main thing the main thing. It's too easy for the church to get off, not just our church, but any church, to get off of the main thing. Because all kinds of other things we may focus on. There's other good things we may focus on, like marriages 
or fighting for the rights of the unborn or you fill in the blank. And all these things are things we ought to stand for truth. We got to stand for what's right. But the reality is you and I don't change people. Jesus changes people. And what people need more than anything, including every single one of us in this building, if you follow Christ for five minutes or you follow Christ for 50 years, you need to hear the gospel every single day of your life. May we never tire of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because I need to be reminded of the price that was paid for my freedom as a follower of Christ. And we need to give opportunity to people to know who Jesus is. But what is the gospel? We talk about these words. We have to know what the gospel is. Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. We just celebrated the fact that God came at Christmas. God came. He came in the form of a little baby boy in a manger in Bethlehem. And he actually came. He actually came to be one of us. This isn't just a story. He actually came. Jesus came and lived among humankind. And he lived until he was about 32 years up. He grew up, he learned, he struggled, he faced joy, he faced heartache, but he lived on mission. He always lived on mission. What was his mission? To bring glory to the Father. We could get into the intricacies and the theological background of of the Trinity and go into the theological wormhole, wormhole of the Trinity this morning, but that's not our purpose today. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, lived on the earth, lived a perfect life, and he never sinned. He is our example of what a relationship with God can look like. He also came to die. We just celebrated that communion. He came to die in our place so that we could live. But why did Jesus have to die? This is the gospel. Romans 3.23 tells us, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do you think the word all means there? Anybody? All. Good job. That wasn't a trick question. There's no special Greek word that means something different. I know sometimes you read scripture and you're like, what, really, pastor? But not, not, not this time. All means all. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person, every person on the earth has sinned. I don't care how good you think you are. You've sinned. I don't care how bad you think you are. You haven't sinned too far for this next verse. Romans 6.23 that says this. For the wages or the payment of sin is death. Death means physical and spiritual death here. Physical death, separation from everyone you love. Spiritual death, separation from God forever. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He came and he died at just the right time. At the right time, right when we needed it most. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11 says this. For while we we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. I've said often when I look at this and I go, you know what? I love my children and I would die for them. I believe I would, but I would not sacrifice one of them for any one of you. I wouldn't. God did. He sacrificed his son for us so that we could live. 
Because, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation means our relationship has been restored to God himself through Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't hear that right. Our relationship with God has now been reconciled, restored through Jesus Christ. That is an awesome thing. We cannot take that for granted, guys. I get it. When I, I mean, for so many years, I would say even up to probably the last 10 years, I'm in youth ministry going, ah, these students have heard the gospel. They're bored of it. And then God just smacked me right upside the head. You know, like NCIS, Gibbs smacking me upside the head like that. That's kind of what happened. And it's like, no, I need to be remembered, reminded of the gospel every day. We can never get tired of this. God pulled us from the pit. We just sang about it. He pulled us out of the pit. Let's not forget that. It's also something we can't earn. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast about it. Don't you dare think you can save yourself because you can't. I hear from people often, well, I'm just a good person and God will understand. My friends, there is no scale on this earth that will weigh your works against your bad works. And you win. Because one sin separates us from God. Sin can't be in the presence of God. That's why he sent his son to die for us. And how do you obtain this gift of salvation? Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with a mouth, one confesses and is saved. Believe in your heart. That's a conviction in your heart. That means your life is given to Christ. And you confess it with your mouth because you're willing to tell others that, hey, I belong to Jesus. I am his. See, this is the gospel. Jesus came. He lived as our example. He died in our place. He rose from the dead and offers salvation through him Alone. This is the why behind what we do at the River Church. Everything that we do is about the gospel because Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus, my friends. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's about him. And there's an urgency. People must know. We must share because 2 Corinthians 6.2, Paul says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Because, my friends, no one knows when their life will end. No one knows. We can get in a car accident as we go home today. We don't know when our time is. We don't know. So we need to invite people to Jesus. And my friend, if you don't know who Jesus is today, 
Call on his name. Believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, the son of God, that he died and he rose from the dead. Confess with your mouth that you believe in him and tell others about and confess that, that I believe. You'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved right where you are. Ask for forgiveness. Believe he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that. There's people in guest services that would love to talk to you about whether or not you can know that you are saved. You can know it today, my friend. Don't walk out of here today not knowing that Jesus is your Savior. But today we focus on reach. And it's what Paul says in chapter 10 in Romans right after he talks about how to be be saved, what I just talked about. He says this, How then will they call on him, in verse 14, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. My friends, how will people know about who Jesus is if we will not tell them? George Barna did a study in 2018. George Barna is, a, is kind of a, a, um, a pollster, a Christian pollster. He talks to Christians a lot about, about things in the church and opinions in the church. He did a study in 2018, and 96% of Christians would say that telling others about Jesus should be a part of faith in Jesus. That's a good number, 96%. wonder about the other four, but that's 96%. That's good, all right? In fact, 95% believe that someone giving their life to Jesus and following him is the best thing that could happen to them. Here's where we have a problem in the church. 25% of boomer, older than boomer, and Gen X generations believe it's wrong to share your faith to someone of a different faith in hopes that they would turn to Christ. It gets a little worse. That percentage is 47% for the millennial generation. That it is wrong, immoral, to share Jesus with somebody with somebody that has a different faith than yours. We either believe that Christ is the only name under heaven by which people can be saved, or we don't. Is it about Jesus or not? And we couple that with a study by Lifeway in 2019. That's the Southern Baptist publishing arm of the Southern Baptist. It says 55% of Christians have never shared their faith. Never. The next 36% have only shared their faith with five people in the last six months. Better than nothing, but five people, five or less. Only 9% have shared their faith with more than six people. My friends, how will people know about Jesus if nobody goes and tells them? How can they believe if they've not heard? How can they hear without somebody telling them? That's why we look at Reach, Gather, Grow every single September and January. And this time around, we are looking at the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, this is where we'll be for the next four weeks, actually. Also want to make sure you know that every time we do a sermon series, I meant to bring the book up, but I apologize. We have um, devotional books that our staff writes both Bible studies as well as daily devotions that are based on the sermon series that we go through. And there's different ways you can access those. You can buy a paper copy at guest services for five bucks. It's pretty much what we pay to have them printed. Or you can download the River Church app 
and all of the books are in the books tab at the very bottom. You can access the books on the website as well, and that's free. If you download the app or if you download or look at it through the website, you can just download those, and that's free. You can do the daily devotions. You can even go to our website at the bookstore, go to media and then bookstore, and you can have each daily devotion emailed to you every single day. So it shows up in your email box. We try to make it easy for you to be able to access this information. And so if you want to follow along and do some devotions based on, and spend some time in the Word based upon what the sermon series are, you can do that for every single series we do. So I want to make sure you're aware of that. So let's read first, sorry, Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18, which says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. So Paul is now in prison. He's actually, most scholars believe this letter of, to, the, to Philippi was written by Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. He was imprisoned a few times because he talked about Jesus. He wouldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ. And that had some consequences. So what actually happened to Paul? What is Paul talking about? He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what's happened to him? If I go over a couple of pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But if I go over a couple of pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 28, these are some of the things that happened to Paul. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the, the, the 40 lashes less one. It was believed that at 40 lashes you were dead. That was the whole thing. So we got... 39. How many times? Five times. Can you imagine what his back looked like? Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. That sounds better. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false, prof false brothers, danger, Will Robinson. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there is daily pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. I think Paul went through some stuff. But we have to add to this. Apparently some in the church had the opinion that Paul should have never gone to Rome because I'm sure nobody has an opinion about how the church should be run, right? The reality is he, he, apparently somebody had thought that they shouldn't go to Rome because, you know, if he hadn't been arrested, then maybe we wouldn't be going through so, through so much persecution. Paul, just shut up a little bit, will you? That's pretty much what they're saying. He's bringing too much attention to the gospel of Christ. Wait a minute. Too much attention to the gospel of Christ? I wonder if that's... Eh, I'm going to put a pin in that for a second. 
They would come back and say he was too headstrong. And people would even say that he's in prison because God is taking his hand of blessing off of him. That's what Paul was going through. The church was now attacking him in other areas. But in the middle of all this, God was using him to preach the gospel. No matter the circumstance, he continued to talk about Jesus and the good news of who he is and what he did to all around him. How do we know this? Well, all we have to do is look in verse 13. Paul was preaching the gospel while he was in prison, and the entire imperial guard heard about Jesus. We see it in verse 13. Who's the imperial guard? Oh, they're only the praetorium, a group of elite soldiers in the Roman army. 9,000 men that received double pay, good pensions, and special duties. One of their duties was to guard imperial prisoners, of which Paul was one because if you've read anything by the Apostle Paul, when he was arrested, he appealed to Caesar, which was one of his rights as a Roman citizen. He had extra rights because he, he was a Roman citizen, and so he appealed to Caesar. He was an imperial prisoner. He got to go speak to all of these praetorium, these imperial guards, and they would rotate through. It was not just one guard all the time. They would rotate through. They would bring, the soldiers, bring these prisoners in chains along with them. So as these soldiers were guarding Paul, he would be telling stories about what Jesus had did in his life. He would always be talking about Christ and who he is and what he did. And they observed how Paul lived and how it matched what he talked about. The gospel came to the heart of secular power of the world because Paul was imprisoned. No, God didn't take his hand of blessing off of Paul. He put it on him more by sending him to prison so that more people would know Jesus Christ. Not only that, in verse 14, Paul's testimony was giving strength to the church in Rome to preach the gospel with even more vigor and without fear, Paul says. They kept the main thing the main thing, and they preached the gospel no matter what. On October 28th, 1948, or 1949, sorry, the missionary Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. A few months later, Jim would hear about the Auca Indians in Ecuador who had never heard the name of Jesus. Never heard the name of Jesus. And he felt God called him to take the gospel to these people. In 1952, Jim and his friend Pete Fleming set sail for Guayaquil as missionaries arriving in February. For six months, they stayed in Quito, the capital of Ecuador, in order to learn Spanish before moving deep into the jungle. And they lived at Shandia, a mission station, a mission station there. On January 29, 1953, Jim Elliott proposed to Elizabeth Howard on her 21st birthday. And they were married October 8th in a civil ceremony in Quito on Jim's 26th birthday. Their daughter Valerie was born on February 27th, 1955. There's a much larger story here, much longer than I have time to tell you today. But suffice it to say that the Alco were a violent people. These missionaries attempted to contact them by giving gifts using a loudspeaker from a plane and then using a loudspeaker shouting welcoming phrases in their own language. When they attempted to make their first contact by landing on a beach, the tribe was cunning and they killed them all. Wives lost husbands, children lost dads, 
five missionaries in 1956, I think. Hardly a year, maybe a year after he got married. Jim Elliott and four of his friends who were trying to take the gospel of the Alka Indians were brutally killed. Speared to death. For the cause of the gospel. On the surface, and when we only consider this, it seems like a waste. Why would they go in the first place if they knew these people were dangerous? It goes deeper. If you want the full story, watch the movie End of the Spear. It's a great movie. End of the Spear. I encourage you to watch it. Because Elizabeth Elliot would go to those same Alka Indians in 1958 and live with the very people who killed her husband, as would some of the other wives of the men that were killed that day. She took her family and showed them love, the love of Christ. These Alka Indians had never experienced this before. They never knew anything like this before. She would teach them about the gospel. These people would be changed by the Spirit of God, and they came to know Jesus. It goes further than that. The man that is believed to kill two of the missionaries, Minkaye, came to know Jesus, and he adopted the son of one of the missionaries. He killed a tribal adoption and became his spiritual father, the man who killed his dad. And he took the gospel to surrounding tribes, and the gospel spread. Is Jesus worth it? We have to answer that question. Philippians 1, 12 to 14, again, I want you to know, brothers, that whatever has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. God used the circumstances of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and these missionaries. He used their lives, he used their deaths to bring hundreds to Christ who have never known. And I can't, oh man, I want to be there. I want to see it when Jim and these missionaries meet Menkaye for the first time in heaven. Are you kidding me? What kind of a reunion is that going to be? See, Paul would preach the gospel no matter what. The second half of this passage, he's talking about how some people are preaching the gospel while Paul's in prison so they can ultimately get more followers. They're trying to preach. I mean, they're preaching the gospel, but they're like, man, Paul's got too much influence. I want his influence. I'm going to go into his. They were actually trying to get more influence with the gospel than anything else. And Paul goes, look, here's the deal. I don't really care. Some of you are preaching the gospel under false pretense. Some of you are trying to use the gospel to gain fame. Some of you are actually preaching the gospel for the right reasons. You know what the bottom line is? That Jesus is preached and Jesus crucified is taught. Paul didn't care about his followers on Instagram. He cared more about people who would know about who Christ is. But we, have, we, learned, we hear about this story of Jim Elliott. We go, okay, that's great. What might this look like today? Well, Jim Cimbala is the pastor of, of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And he tells this story. He says, we prioritize sharing the gospel as the main theme of our services on the days of Easter 
or Christmas, the music department puts together a special presentation. He, he says he closes the presentation by giving the gospel message, asking people to come forward and respond to the gospel. It's always fulfilling, but it's also very exhausting because they have like 80 million services on those days. No, they have like, I think, nine services on those days at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he says, I remember one Easter in particular. We had reached the end of our third service. I had been on my feet most of the day. So I sat on the edge of the platform, loosened my tie and collar, and let out a deep let out a few deep breaths. And then I saw him. Standing a few feet away in the middle aisle was a tall black man I'd never seen before. He looked like he might be in his 50s. He stood there staring at me, shabbily dressed, and holding a filthy-looking cup in his hands. Now, you got to understand, in Brooklyn... They have a lot of homeless that come in and, and watch, the, watch the services. So this is, he kind of, you know, when you, and he's, they minister to the homeless because they love Jesus and they love them. But hear what he says. He says, I confess, I thought, oh, great. The service is over. I'm tired. And now I'm going to get hit up for money by one of the street people. Yes, even us pastors have those thoughts. That scenario is common because of where our church is located. He says, we have a protocol we follow when this sort of things happens. We don't want to give money to someone who's going to spend it to fuel their habit. But he says, I didn't feel like going through the whole protocol. I figured I'd give him a few bucks, and that would be that. So he walked closer. I could see his missing teeth, matted hair, several days' growth of beard. There was no telling when he'd last bathed. He was five feet or so away when it hit me. The smell. Maybe the most repulsive smell I've ever smelled. A combination of feces, urine, sweat, and alcohol. What's your name, I ask him. David. Where'd you stay last night? Empty truck. How come you're not in a shelter? By now I was really fighting this odor. It was overwhelming. No shelter. He says, I learned that David didn't like the idea of staying in a shelter, so he bounced from one place to another. He later told me that once he was in an abandoned apartment sleeping on a filthy mattress that had been left there, the cigarette he'd been smoking fell onto the mattress while he was dozing off. Providentially, his brother walked in as the mattress was set ablaze that he was on. How long have you been on the street? Jim asked. A couple of years. He says, I'd learned later that he'd been lying in his own urine on the sidewalk next to our building. He heard the music, got up, and just stood outside a door listening. And he heard the gospel. He was ashamed to be seen by all the people, so he waited until the service was over before coming in. So Jim says, I thought, how much should I give him? I fished a $10 bill out of my pocket from my money clip, and I went to hand it to him. But he pushed my hand away. He says, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus you've been speaking about. I'm going to die out here. And just like that, in a moment, Jim says, my heart melted. I started to cry quietly. You know who also needed Jesus at that moment? I did. I prayed with him, God, forgive me. You sent somebody I'm supposed to help, and I'm trying to send him away with a $10 bill. The Lord seemed to say, Jim, if you have any value to me, if you have any purpose in my work, it has to do with this odor. This is the smell of the world I died for. Just then, David broke down quietly as well. He wrapped his arms around me. I hugged him to myself, and we started rocking back and forth. I don't know for how long. He was crying, I was crying. And I can tell you in that moment... The smell that I had found so repugnant became like a beautiful fragrance to me. That man became a leader of a ministry at Brooklyn Tabernacle to homeless people and is still a friend of Jim Cimbala to this day. 
My friends, people need Jesus. Who's going to tell them? People need Jesus. Who's going to tell them? I want to finish today with what we read in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How will people know if we don't tell them? One final story. I'm story heavy today, but I think we need stories when it comes to something like reaching people for the gospel. Francis Chan, you've heard me talk about him in the past. He, he shared how a pastoral staff member of his he did something that honestly I've only ever dreamed about too. Maybe you. Here's the story. His colleague was driving home one day and in the car in front of him accidentally hit a guy on a, boat, on a, on a bicycle and knocked him down. The cyclist got up. He pounded on the hood of the driver's car. In his rage, he went to the driver's side door, opened it, and began kicking and punching the driver, who happened to be a 75-year-old man. My friend was sitting behind this scene and was faced with a decision. What should he do? Should he get out and help? To make things more complicated, he had his baby in the back seat. But he was determined to help. So the pastor got out, proceeded to get out of the car, and pulled the cyclist off the older man. As he did, the cyclist wouldn't stop. He got physical with our pastor, too. He even tore his shirt off in his efforts to get back assaulting the driver. So our pastor had to make another decision. Should he punch this guy? He decided yes. With one uppercut punch, he knocked the guy out flat. When the police came and verified the story from all the witnesses who honked and clapped when all this originally happened, the policeman asked our pastor, how many times did you punch him? He said, honestly, just once. The policeman said, yeah, that's what everyone else said. Have you ever dreamed about doing something like that? I'm the hero. Boom. Yeah, you're done. How you doing, buddy? You know, I mean, I like get involved in, and doing something like that. I mean, that sounds like it would be kind of cool, almost Avenger-like. Um, how many of us here would do something if we saw something like that? I got to believe most of us would be like, no, we got to help this guy. 75-year-old man, what are we thinking? What if the guy's bigger than you? We're going to do something. How many of us will go across the street to your 75-year-old neighbor that doesn't know Jesus and let him know that they're loved? Francis asked some good but tough questions. Why is it that we find it easy to be courageous in physical matters, but difficult in spiritual ones? I mean, there's a lot of people I know that will get a concealed weapons permit to be able to protect those too. I mean, that's kind of a thing in Michigan. There's like 800,000 people in our state that have CPLs. We talk about wanting to defend people physically, but when it comes to the gospel, we're too afraid to walk across the street. Why is it that we're cowards when it comes to sharing the gospel? I know some of you just said, You just call me a coward? I'm going to. But let's be honest, there's plenty of times I'm a coward too. Maybe it's because we have an enemy that's trying to keep our mouths shut. Maybe it's because this can change the lives of people. My friends, how can people know if nobody tells them?
It's why we keep the main thing the main thing. We continually do it because Jesus saves. He saves and he changes lives. It's more important than our politics. It's more important than our 401k. It's more important than our, my friends, it's more important than our jobs. It's more important than our families. It's more important. Jesus saves. Because when we focus on Jesus, the other things, is he really going to take care of us or not? Do we believe that? It says he clothes the lilies of the field and he takes care of the sparrow. Is he going to take care of you? How will people know if we don't tell them? You don't have to have all the answers. You just got to love them. And talk about how Jesus changed your life. And if Jesus hasn't changed your life this morning, call on his name today and he will change you where you sit. Stop running. Stop running from him. Stop listening to the lies of everything else. Call in the name of the Lord, you can be saved. If you've been running from Jesus, come back. Come home. How will they know unless we say something? Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we love you. But I confess that there are times that, man, I struggle so much with what it means to share the gospel. And I know we struggle with that as followers of Christ. And so God, today I just pray convict us you'd mold us you'd shape us and that you would call us to that 75 year old man that might be our next door neighbor across the street or right next to us or that person sitting alone in a coffee shop or that co-worker that is going through a hard time that we would just go and love them and have a spiritual conversation God, I pray we wouldn't make people projects, but Lord, if we truly believe that Jesus, you are the light of the world, that you are the hope of the world, that you are the savior of the world, then how can we not speak about who you are to those who so desperately need you? God, I pray we would love well and that we wouldn't be jerks. But God, we know that when we say your name, things can get interesting. Lord, may we rely upon you more than anything else. And for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, God, I pray that they would hear you calling their name to come to the cross, to be saved, to confess with your mouth, with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that they would be saved where they sit. Thank you. Thank you for calling us to call others to know you. Thank you for using us and including us in this. Because, man, when you're somebody like Jim Cimbala who struggled too, and you get an opportunity like that to lead someone to the Lord, and, and, and we see what you do in a life, when we see how you change a life, and we get to play a small part of that, oh, my goodness, Lord, that is beyond compare, and I thank you for using us. God, in those times when we're afraid, I pray that we would speak the name, Jesus. How will people know if we don't tell them, God? Give us courage. Help us to reach 
with the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.